Thank you. Open your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. It's a joy to be here with you on this important day. And I, I want us to look at a prayer in the New Testament in Ephesians chapter 3. As Andy said, I'm, uh, I'm an Oklahoman. I've been there all my life until recently moving to Dallas. I was a pastor for about 30 years in Oklahoma, most of it in a church a lot like Moberly, about this size and a lot like this church. I've enjoyed being with you. And at Guidestone, we serve those who serve the Lord. We, we help our pastors with retirement and insurance. We help our churches take care of the people that work for them so that they can uh, finish with, uh, with dignity. We also help about 2,500 uh, pastors and mainly widows who don't have the financial means to, to live on when they retire. And through the generosity of Southern Baptist, we're able to help them year by year. And so uh, it's, it's our honor to serve those who serve the Lord. Ephesians chapter 3 is a text. And we're going to look at a prayer that you can pray for your church. You could pray for this new pastor. You could pray for your spouse or for your children. It's a great New Testament prayer for spiritual growth. I'm going to pray the prayer, and your part is going to be very challenging. Are you ready? You got one word at the end. Amen. Can you say that? Amen. Is this an amen in church? Do you say amen? You know, it's kind of a lost art. These last few months I haven't been preaching so much I've been sitting where you are and it's about the time I hear something I want to say amen to it's already passed and I'm too late there's timing involved amen but amen is a Hebrew word that found its way into the Greek New Testament that's interesting isn't it it's an old Hebrew word but as the church got more and more Gentile, less and less Hebrew, they kept using that Hebrew word, amen, because it was so important to them. Amen. It's a Hebrew word that means that's right. It's, it's, uh, it's related to the idea of being solid. That's solid. You can count on that. It's true. And in a service of worship like this, when the people of God say amen, in part, it's a word of adoration. We're saying, God, we praise you because that's true. We praise you because you've given us a place to stand. We would not know the truth. We would not have the truth unless you revealed the truth to us through Jesus Christ and through your word. And we say amen because we're acknowledging that you are the source of truth and you've given it to us. It's a word of adoration. Amen. That's true. The Bible, I think, also teaches us that when we say amen in a service of worship like that, it's a kind of a personal word of submission. We're not just saying that's true, but we're saying that's true for me. I'll receive that truth. I accept that truth. I'll live under that truth. I'll stand firm on that truth. It's a word of submission. Not just that's true, but that's true for me. That's why we say amen. Amen. And finally, when we say the word amen, it's not just a word of adoration that's true, a word of submission that's true for me, but it's also a word of exhortation. We're saying to our brothers and sisters, listen, that's true for you too, right? 
You should have ears to hear that. This is true. It's true for me. It's true for you. And so the people of God say amen when they hear the truth, right? Practice it one more time. Amen. So you might not have ever said it out loud in church before. Say it now. Amen. amen. Feels good, doesn't it? It's, it's one of those words that, that feels like, sounds like what it means. Like buzz and boom, right? Amen. Hey, that comes from deep within, doesn't it? Men, that's firm. A firm truth that we believe deep down in our bellies. Amen. Say amen one more time. Amen. All right, you're getting better at it. I like that. All right, here's the prayer, and, and you say the man. This is, this is Paul's prayer from God's perfect word. It's a prayer that every believer needs to know. Paul Paul prayed this for the church at Ephesus, and I'll pray it for Moberly this morning. For this reason, I bow my knee before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you, according to the riches of his glory, to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in the inner man, so that Christ would dwell in your hearts through faith and that you being rooted and grounded in love would be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and depth and height and length and to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that you might be filled up to all the fullness of him. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that you ask or think, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Your part is? Amen. Amen. See, you're sleeping. You missed your part. <laughs> Amen. That's true. That's true for me. It's true for you too. Now, I wish we had time to look at all that prayer. It's a beautiful prayer for spiritual maturity of a disciple. It teaches us that spiritual maturity is about growing in strength. It's about growing in knowledge. And it's about growing in love. Balanced spiritual growth is to, be, to grow in strength, to grow in knowledge, to grow in love. Paul says spiritual growth is like a person growing from an infant to a full-grown man or woman. Spiritual growth is like a tree growing deep and wide and tall. Spiritual growth is like a jar being filled up to the brim. His prayer is that we would grow to our fullness in Him, in strength and knowledge and love. And though we don't have time to look at the prayer in depth, we do have some time to look at the benediction, the close of the prayer. Because I think verse 20 and 21 is very important to Marberly Baptist Church, to you as an individual, to this congregation, here in this important season of her life as you anticipate calling a new pastor. I wonder if you really believe what the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, because it's extraordinary. I, I, I want to read it again, and if you believe it, say amen. Verse 20 and 21. Now, to him who is able to do 
far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. I'm telling you, that's one of the boldest statements in all of Scripture. And, and, and I, want to ma- I want to make sure that you know what you're declaring when you say the amen to that benediction. I, I want you to notice, first of all, that when you say amen to that benediction, you are affirming His power, right? You're affirming the power of God in Christ Jesus. Paul here piles up language to emphasize the abundance of the power of God. It's the heart of this benediction, really. He is the one who is able. Do you believe that he's able? That word able is a Greek word dunamis. Sounds like power, dynamite. He is powerful. He has the power. He is able. And it's used twice in this benediction. God is a God who has all power. He is able. And notice the language of verse 20. Let's just, let's just work it backwards. Verse 20 says that he is able to do what we ask or think. No, he says more than that. We're able to do all that we ask or think. He is able to do all that we ask or think. You see that? But that's not enough. Paul says he is able to do beyond all that we ask or think. But that's not sufficient. Paul says he is able to do abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. But that's still not enough. Paul says he is able to do more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. But that's still not enough. He says God is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. So Paul is, isn't he? He's He's in an exaggerated way, he's emphasizing God is able. He has all the power he needs to do all that we ask or think. By the way, notice that Paul is assuming that you as a believer and as a congregation will be a people who think and ask. The sad truth is sometimes we don't do either one of those, right? But that we should be a thinking people, a a people who plan and prepare and dream and envision, imagine. We think about what we want to do for Christ in our communities, but also that we would ask because ultimately we can't do anything apart from His power. He wants us to be a people who are asking. Remember, Jesus walked up to that blind man and asked him that penetrating question. He said, what do you want me to do for you? If Jesus walked up to you this afternoon when you woke up from your nap and said, what do you want me to do for you? Would you have a ready ready reply? What are you asking him? What are you as a congregation asking him? What do you want him to do for you? That's the question Jesus asked the blind man. It's the question the Lord God Almighty asked Solomon. 
It's a question he asks us today. What do you want him to do for you? Because he is able, all-powerful, to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. This is an extraordinary statement of Scripture, isn't it? Sometimes when we're asking him, we're more like what my wife did to me the other day. She, she couldn't open, open a jar of pickles in the kitchen. She said, honey, would, would you see if you can open that jar? And as I grabbed a hold of it, she said, you probably can't. I've been trying. I couldn't open it. And she might have been using reverse psychology on me, but she didn't have a lot of confidence. Sometimes that's how we pray. God, would you help me with this thing? I, I, I know you probably can't because I've been working on it. John Newton said, thou art coming to a king. Large petitions with thee bring, for his grace and power are such none can ever ask too much. He is able. I, I, we have, Jill and I raised three sons, and we've got eight grandchildren. And the, the oldest is a little girl who's about seven, and her dad's starting to read the Chronicles of Narnia to her, those C.S. Lewis children's books. So I, I kind of picked them up and was reading in them. And, 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 you know, in those books, there's a big lion named Aslan, and Aslan represents Christ in this imaginary world. And there's children who have these encounters with Aslan and they learn about Christ that way. We learn about Christ that way. And The second book tells a story of the second time they go to Narnia. They've already known Aslan. They've gone back to their real lives. And they've gotten bigger. And then they return to Narnia. And Lucy, one of the girls, is, is older than before. And the first time she encounters Aslan, she's real close to him. It's a giant lion. She's kind of nose to nose with him. And his mane is almost surrounding her, and she's overwhelmed with, with the bigness of Aslan. And she says, Aslan, you're bigger. And the lion Aslan says, no, child, you're older. She says, you're not bigger. He says, I'm not. But the older you get, the bigger I'll seem. Listen, a mark of spiritual maturity is that Jesus seems bigger. And what we need as a church, not smaller problems, we need a bigger Jesus. One who is far more abundantly able to do all that we ask or think. So when you say the amen at the end of this prayer, you're affirming his power. The second thing I want you to see is that when you say the amen to this prayer, you're acknowledging his presence with the church. Notice verse 20, the end of verse 20, according to the power that works within us. This is what God's word says. The power that works within us. Now, it, it, it's appropriate to see this as declaring the fact that the Holy Spirit of God lives and works within the life of every individual believer. That's the truth of God's Word. 
But this text is specifically talking about how the power of God is at work within us corporately. Within the life of the church, Paul is praying for the church at Ephesus. And he's reminding us not just of the power of God, but of the presence of the Lord God, the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, his Holy Spirit, in the midst of the body of Christ, the local church. And so we we affirm his power and we're acknowledging his presence in the church. He is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us. Paul is saying God is working within the church. He's powerful and he's present. Not just then, but now. Oftentimes we only believe half of this benediction. It's easy for us to believe that God is going to glorify, God is going to be glorified in Christ Jesus forever and ever. That's easy to believe, isn't it? We believe that. But Paul says more than that. He doesn't, he doesn't just say to him be the glory in Christ Jesus forever and ever. He says to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus. In all generations. That includes this one, doesn't it? And forever and ever. Not just his glory in Christ Jesus, but his glory in the church in this generation. His presence His power right now in the life of the church. It's easy. We know that God was glorified in Christ Jesus, right? And he still is. He will be. That Jesus Christ, who came and lived a perfect life and then laid down his life as the perfect sacrifice for our sins on the cross of Calvary, we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And having died once for all, as the perfect substitute for your sins and for mine. He was buried and he rose again on the third day. And in him is the fullness of glory. But this benediction teaches us that just as God is glorified in Christ Jesus, God would also be glorified in the church. He is present and at work in the life of the church. Who builds the church? Who who said... On this rock, I will build my church. Who said that? Jesus said that. Good answer. Hey, you're going to call a fine pastor on November 14th. He's not the one that builds a church. Jesus builds his church. You're going to call a fine pastor on November 14th. But this church doesn't exist for his glory. And so this is a text that speaks to us about the power of God and his present work in the life of the church. His presence and his power. I had the privilege just uh, uh, Tuesday, just this past Tuesday, I was in Richmond, Virginia, and I got to preach at the sending service, the commissioning service for our newest Southern Baptist International Mission Board missionaries. 
young people from all over the United States who got it called to go to the nations and, and through our tithes and offerings and prayers, we're sending them out to the nations. Largest missionary force ever. Think about the Great Commission. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. That's his power, right? And lo, I am with you always, even in the age. That's his presence. And this benediction affirms just those very things. So the amen affirms his presence. It acknowledges his great power. But now I want you to see one other thing from this text. When you say amen to this benediction, you're also embracing his purpose for your life and for your church. To him, verse 21, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Glory. His glory is his manifest excellence. His excellence on display. His glory is his character and grace and power and goodness put on display in the person of Jesus Christ and in the life of the local church. That's this prayer. And it reminds us that our purpose is his glory. His desire is to be glorified in the church, and that's our desire. It's the chief end of man. It's to enjoy God and glorify Him. It, it, it seems to me that in the last generation or two, our churches have been asking all these questions. We've been asking where should we meet and when should we meet, what should we do, and who should we reach. And how should we worship? All those questions, right? But too often we fail to ask the fundamental question. Why? And this benediction goes to the why. To him be the glory in the church. And once, once we get a hold of that, once, once we get settled on the why, his glory in Christ Jesus, all those other questions fade away. They're still important, but they get a lot easier to answer. The why, the purpose, is his glory. And so what we are asking and thinking about is, God, would you glorify your name and your son Jesus Christ through all that we say and do as a church. That's the why, isn't it? His glory. It's hard to do. A few, few months ago, my wife and I were watching our oldest son's kids. He and his wife were on a, on a 10-year anniversary trip. And uh, so we were watching their three children. They had a little baby that was kind of crawling around the floor and then a four-year-old boy and a six-year-old girl. And uh, I was preaching. I, it just had, so happened I was preaching that Sunday just about 10 or 15 minutes from their house. And so they were excited, especially the oldest girl, that six-year-old girl, was kind of excited because she was going to go to church with granddad. 
see him preach and see the new church. So she had her clothes set out, and she was excited about that. But after the big kids had gone to bed, the baby started running a fever. And uh, Julie said, well, we can't take these kids to church running a fever. We better stay home, and you go. So that Sunday morning, I got up, I got dressed. And after I was dressed, the children started waking up. And when they realized that I was going to church and they weren't going with me, that six-year-old girl was awful disappointed. And so my wife, they called Mimi. Mimi said, well, before Granddad leaves, we're going to have home church. So she added an extra service there just without even asking me. And I was, just, I was about leaving five minutes, so I said, okay, here's what we'll do. You guys go get your Bibles. And they ran to the room and got their Bible. Pearl can read a little bit. And Jack, the four-year-old boy, can't read, but he's got a picture Bible. They went to the rooms. They got their Bibles. They came back. They sat on the, kind of the ottoman there in the living room. And I said, okay, we're going to sing a song. And then Mimi's going to pray a prayer. And when she's finished praying, then Pearl, you read any story you want to from the Old Testament. And then Jack and I will read a story from the New Testament, and that'll be our service. So we sang, Jesus loves me, and my wife prayed. And when she said amen, as soon as she said amen, four-year-old Jack said, I want to read my story first. And Pearl began to protest. I said, now, now wait a minute, Jack. We've already said how we're doing things. You know, that, that's why we have printed orders of service, I guess. But wait a minute, Jack. We've already said... We already said how we're going to do it. Pearl's going to read her story first. Hand to God, four-year-old Jack stands up, tucks that beginner's Bible high up under his arm, and marches off to his room saying, I'm going to go find my own church where I can read my own Bible. <laughs> uh, I, I never knew that Baptist was genetic until that day. That's how we are, isn't it? Listen, you know what this tells us? It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about him. It's not about preferences or personalities. Our purpose is his glory. And so the question we're always asking is, what will glorify God in Christ Jesus our Lord? Where is his glory? How can we manifest to a watching world his goodness and grace and faithfulness and love and power and holiness? When we say the amen to this benediction, we're embracing that purpose, his glory in the church and in Christ Jesus in this generation and forever and ever. So if you, if you would affirm his power and acknowledge his presence in the life of this church and embrace his purpose, which is his glory, then when I say the benediction, you say amen. Now, to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in Christ Jesus 
and in the church to all generations forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Bow your head with me for prayer. All across this place of worship, every head bowed and eye closed, we're going to give you an opportunity for you to respond to God's Word and to His Holy Spirit, maybe as He's spoken to your heart. In a moment, I'm going to pray, and when I say amen, we'll stand up and sing, and some of you may want to come and use these front steps as an altar. You just come praying in response to God's Word, praying for yourself, praising Him for His power, thanking Him for His presence, embracing His purpose, asking Him to glorify His name in your life and in this church. You could come and pray during this time. You could come and pray even now. Some of you in this invitation time, you might want to come and join our church, this church. Some of you here have never had a life-changing encounter with Christ. And by God's grace, you realize this morning that the good news of Jesus Christ is not about what you need to do for Him. It's about what He has already done for you. It's not about your goodness. It's about His glory. And that you believe today Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. That Jesus rose again and He's the living Lord of all creation. And that one day, one day every knee will bow and tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And so you want to come and make that confession today. Jesus Christ, you're my Savior and Lord. In a moment when I pray and say amen, we'll stand together and sing. Pastors and ministers will be here at the front. You just come and take one by the hand and say, I want to be saved today. I want, to, I want Jesus to be my Savior and Lord. This invitation is your chance. Father, we thank you for your word as relevant and true today as it ever has been. We thank you and praise you because your power is inexhaustible. You are almighty. We praise you and give you thanks because you are present here in this time of worship. You are living and working in the life of this local church. We praise you because you've given us purpose an eternal purpose, which is to pursue your glory. Our desire, our ask, is that you would glorify yourself, that you would be glorified in Christ Jesus and in the life of this church in this season. That's what we want. That's our desire. It's your purpose for us. Father, I pray that not a single person would leave this service of worship today that knowing Jesus Christ and Savior and Lord, His forgiveness of sin and the hope of eternal life. I pray that today, as we hear your voice, we'd not harden our hearts, but we'd turn to Jesus by faith. In His name we pray, amen.